today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Using it as that opportunity to remind the believers of the grace of God in the first advent and the continuing need in our lives to be prepared and to live with expectancy of the second advent, the Lord's soon return. One of the things we do know is this, the themes and the tradition of advent have have evolved through the years. As mentioned earlier on, Advent at one point in time, it was a time of of confession, a time of fasting. Today, a time and a season of preparation, still, that's still the theme. But it's not quite as intense as it was back in the 5th, 6th, or 7th century. Advent is one of those portions of the yearly calendar that many people simply don't understand. Is it something that we should be celebrating? Where did it come from? Will I grow closer to Jesus if I observe Advent? Pastor David tackles the history behind this often misunderstood holiday. We'll learn today the history behind Advent and why it can most certainly be used by God to draw us closer to Him. We are confident that you'll have a better understanding of Advent after today's message. And here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, The Understanding of Advent. first thing I want you to do this morning is something that's absolutely impossible to do. I understand that. But I want you to try anyway, if you would. I want you to try and imagine eternity past. Eternity past. Way back. No, even further than that. Way, way back. And then imagine eternity future. How far does that go? I mean, let's face it, our, our minds, our concepts, our understanding, we're limited. We, we can't even begin. I mean, some of us might be able to remember when we were maybe four years old or something, but we can't imagine eternity past. And yet, in eternity past, God had determined, God planned and God purposed to intercept humanity with his presence. Now, that's awesome to imagine. That number one, that he would create us. But number two, that he would determine and plan, even before his creation, that he would intercept our lives with his physical presence before us in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that really why every one of us are here? Because somewhere in our limited life, whether we be 16 or 96, that God interrupted our lives. He intercepted our lives. Maybe you came to Christ as a young child. Maybe it was in your adult years that you came to a saving knowledge of Christ. But somewhere along your life, God has intercepted your life and has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And beloved, that's why we celebrate. That's why we're here today. 
When we think of Advent, uh, for many of you, maybe you grew up in a church that that was part of the, the normal, regular, yearly cycle of the liturgy of your church, that the last Sunday in November, Advent would start, it would run on through Christmas. Maybe you grew up in a church where it never was uh, a, a part of your worship. Well, hopefully this morning and over the next few weeks, we're going to be able to explain not only what Advent is, but uh, that it is is a, it, it's a good way to think about what God has, is doing in this season, not just the celebration of his birth, but the reality and the truth also of his coming again. Since the time of its formal recognition, Advent has always been a time of preparation and anticipation. It's a celebration, again, uh, uh, the, the, first, uh, the celebration of the first advent, that first coming of Jesus Christ, but it's also that anticipation of his second advent, his coming again. It's a season of remembrance of what's already taken place. It's a season and a time of looking forward to what yet is going to take place, both a celebration of the event of Christ's birth as well as a time of looking for when Christ will come again. An early church writer declares this. It says, Advent has a twofold character. It's a season of preparation for our hearts for the true meaning of Christmas when Christ's first coming to us is a clear demonstration of God's love, his grace, and his mercy, those being remembered. And secondly, as a season which directs the mind and heart to anticipate Christ's second coming at the end of time. Advent is thus a period of devout and joyful expectation. The word advent comes from a Latin word, adventus. It has a twofold meaning in and of itself. It has the meaning of coming, but it also has the meaning of arrival. For those churches that uh, observe a liturgical calendar, Advent actually is the beginning of the new year. Again, beginning that last Sunday of November for us, November 27th, ending on Christmas Eve. Uh, Again, during that whole time and during that process, in the midst of the world's busyness, in the midst of all the distractions of shopping and parties and Christmas trees and Santa Clauses, it's during that time that the Christian really needs to make a time to focus on the importance of that initial incarnation of God through the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, but also the fact of his soon coming. With his first advent, with his coming as Emmanuel, God with us, It's that time that we recall that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's during that time that we remember He was born of a virgin, that He was without sin. It's that time that we remember that God Himself came in the form of a baby, so small and so seemingly vulnerable. Not born in a palace, not born in in any uh, high standards, but He was born in a very nondescript location in a small town of Bethlehem. And even as Micah the prophet declares, little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old and from everlasting. You see, even Micah understood that when Messiah came, his existence, his very presence, is from everlasting before 
It's a work of God through all of eternity that he's bringing in bringing Messiah to us. At the same time, we look to that coming again, that second coming, that second advent. But this time he doesn't come as a little baby. This time he comes as an all-powerful, almighty king who will smite the nations with his justice. The word of God tells us that he's going to come with 10,000s of his angels to execute judgment on all and to convict all who are ungodly. The word of God tells us that he'll plant his feet on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. It's through all this that we're reminded that the babe of Christmas morning will yet come again. And when he comes, not as a babe, not as a suffering servant, not as the gentle word of God, but at that point in time, the word tells us that he's going to come and he'll tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he will have on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Advent is a time to focus on both. The reality of the baby born in human flesh to come and dwell among us, but also the reality that when he comes again, he comes with the judgment of God to come against all those that have rejected the message of God and the hope of the gospel. The exact time with the, with, with, when Advent began, we really don't know. We, we know that it was early on in the early churches. The uh, history, the earliest evidence of anything was a feast of the nativity of our Lord, but that was well into the, the third or the fourth century. Through the years, certain teachings from the church from, from that time have survived, and some of those actually on into the 5th century discuss a preparation, kind of a general sense, for the celebration of this time, but not necessarily indicating any kind of a major or a named celebration or a recognition. There's some traditions that show that the, the period of time that's now established as the Advent season at one time was more of a call of, of prayer of fasting, of penance, and of confession. Now, that's a whole lot different than what we celebrate Christmas today, isn't it? The season or recognition of Advent was fully established, actually, within the Catholic Church by the 6th century. And today, it's part of the liturgical calendar, not only of the Catholic Church, but of the Orthodox Church, as well as the Episcopalian, the Lutheran, the Methodist, and the Presbyterian. And right now, you're looking at me and said, well, but pastor, we not any of them. But you know what? Through the years, particularly here uh, lately, more and more evangelical churches are looking at this season of Advent to, again, draw our attention away from all the craziness that the world offers us at this time and get our focus back on the reality and the truth of what this season is all about. Many of the churches that celebrate Advent today, they're not considered liturgical churches, yet they still celebrate Advent, using it as that opportunity to remind the believers of the grace of God in the first Advent and the continuing need in our lives to be prepared and to live with expectancy of the second Advent, the Lord's soon return. One of the things we do know is this. The themes and the tradition of Advent have, have evolved through the years. As mentioned earlier on, yeah, Advent at one point in time, it was a time of, of confession, a time of fasting. Today, a time and a season of preparation, still, that, that's still the theme. But it's not quite as intense as it was back in the 5th, 6th, or 7th century. 
The focus is primarily on the joyful, on the, on the festive occasion and preparation of the annual remembrance of that first incarnation, the birth of Christ, as well as our own personal and our corporate spiritual preparation for the second coming. Advent celebration traditions, they vary from culture, from place to place, a lot of times influenced by by the cultures that that people are living in. So it takes on a different frame, a different look. And and again, as as we see, the Advent wreath is likely probably the most popular tradition in a lot of churches. The Advent wreath and a lot of homes even have the Advent wreath during this time. Actually, The Advent wreath is a more recent tradition. It came out of Germany in the 1930s and from Germany spread on through Europe and then finally uh, all around the world we see the Advent wreath. The wreath, as we've shared before, it's most often circular uh, and with that whole idea that, uh, again, showing God's eternity, his plan for eternity, no beginning and no end. There are four candles usually within the Advent wreath, the first candle being the prophecy candle or the candle of hope. That's the one that we're looking at today. The second, called the Bethlehem candle or the candle of preparation. We'll look at that next week. The following week after that, the third week, is the candle that's called the shepherd's candle or the candle of joy. Then finally, the fourth is what's called the angel candle or the candle of love. But then there is also, on Christmas Eve, we'll have a fifth candle representing the actual birth of the Savior. Now, you might look up here on the platform this morning and say, well, I only see four candles. Didn't you get the fifth one made yet? Well, we decided that what would be the greatest presentation of the fifth candle is even our, our, our cross up here with the very names of Christ uh, designated. And as you see, we have that off today, and we're going to have that off until Christmas Eve. And again, that's going to become our focus. Each one of the Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve, they have a significance to the telling and to the remembrance of the meaning of Advent. And so also each Sunday or each weekend, we're going to have a variety of scriptures read, scriptures from the Old Testament, some from the Psalms, some from the Epistles, some from the Gospels. And as we work through this whole Advent process, we're going to be sharing, we're going to be studying these scriptures together. And so this morning, with that introduction to what Advent is, let's look into the Word and see what the Word declares to us today. In Isaiah chapter 2, I invite you to turn there if we, as we look at that uh, once more this morning. Isaiah chapter 2. In Isaiah chapter 2, beginning with the first verse, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now you might look at that this morning and say, Pastor, what in the world does that have to do with the Christmas celebration? Well, it has a lot to do with it if you're a Jew. Because for the Jew, 
This was their fullness of their understanding of Messiah, that when Messiah comes, he would then bring peace upon the land. He would take out all of Israel's enemies, and Israel itself would rise up again as a great and a powerful nation. He would set all things in order. He would restore peace throughout not only Israel, but throughout the whole world. The Jews' understanding is is that Messiah would bring with him the strength and the authority to judge all of the nations, to punish the wicked, and to change the hearts of the people. No longer would there be any more battles, no, no, no more wars, no more need for learning war, going to schools of battle strategy. Messiah would be a prince of peace. We look at this and we understand too as we even see in Isaiah a little bit later in chapter 9, this concept of who Messiah should be. Look with me, if you're still in Isaiah, flip on over to chapter 9. The very familiar verse should be to all of us. In chapter 9 of Isaiah, we'll skip down to verse 6. He says, for unto us, what? A child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. You see, for the Jew, they understood that when Messiah comes, he comes as that prince of peace, and he was going to establish this kingdom of peace. Swords would no longer be necessary as weapons of war. Spears could be done away with. They'd be changed around to be pruning hooks. There'd no longer be any need for, uh, again, the battles, the issues of life because Messiah was coming. You see, Israel looked for her Messiah, but she missed the fact that it was a child that was being born. They looked for a warrior And yet they missed what Isaiah had told them also about Messiah in chapters 52 and 53, that Messiah would first become a suffering servant. They looked for a reigning and and a glorious king, and yet they missed the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You can see how for the Jews when Christ came, for them, he couldn't be Messiah. It's not what we're looking for. It's not the one that we are anticipating they fully overlooked the prophecy of Daniel that explained to them that there would come a time that, yes, Messiah would be here, but there would come a time that he would be cut off. He would be cut off, but only for a season. As we read here in Isaiah chapter 2, the light of the Lord would shine upon them. But even as John the apostle declares to us, let's just uh, be aware of the fact that though that light came, it came and it gave light to everyone in the world. The fact was he was in the world and the world was made through him, but yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. They looked for peace and yet they actually missed the Prince of Peace. As David wrote in Psalm 122 that was read earlier, 
Those of us who know Messiah, we need to continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But just as it's true for every man for, from every nation, Israel needs to come to a knowledge of the true Messiah, the true Prince of Peace, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Mary, child in the manger, infant of Mary, outcast and stranger, yet Lord of all. The time is well past, and even right now, the seconds, I believe, are ticking off as we await the second advent, the second coming of Messiah. The Apostle Paul in the first century, he understood that. He anticipated that. The church of the first century so anticipated the second coming of Christ that it would come, that he would come even in their lifetime, that they lived with that full expectancy. But let's face it, folks, it's been 2,000 years and he hasn't come back yet. So unfortunately, in many ways, the church is kind of lulled into a restful, almost, sleep, not with anxious anticipation, not with a, a, a feeling that at any moment, at any day, he could come. Yet Paul tells us in Romans 13, says, do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now, if Paul was writing that in the first century, How much nearer is it for us now in the 21st century? Much closer than when we first believed. Paul continues to write on. He says, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on that armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and in drunkenness, not in lewdness and in lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Jesus gave parable after parable. We've looked at many of them as we've been going through the gospel according to Luke of the effect that, yes, when the the master or the head of the house leaves, the servants many times, they'll they'll slip into this this attitude of non-caring, this attitude of, oh, he's going to be gone for a long time. I don't need to be anxious about his coming. I don't need to be prepared for his coming. But yet Jesus' word to his disciples over and over and over again, the master is coming, and he's coming at a time that you're not going to be ready for. And how true I believe that that is for the church today. We've gotten so comfortable in the way things are. And yet we don't realize that that prophetic clock, man, how close is it to that final second of that final hour when the Lord comes again? You see, Paul understood even 2,000 years ago, he understood the shortness of the time. He understood that that prophetic clock of the Old Testament was still ticking, and with each tick, the time drew closer and closer to the coming of the Lord's return. For him, it was a moment-by-moment preparation and anticipation of the Lord's return. He, along with Peter, understood that the Lord's promises, they weren't made flippantly, they weren't made in vain, and they understood that there's going to be many that say, well, he hasn't come back yet. It's been years and years. Yet even Peter wrote in 2 Peter, he says, the Lord isn't slack. You need to understand the Lord's not slack concerning his promises. 
At one point in history, an incredible and unimaginable event occurred. Heaven came down to earth in the form of a tiny baby and stayed long enough to change the world. As we celebrate the birth of our Savior this Christmas season, may you allow the love and joy that was wrapped up with Him to fill your heart and spill over to those you love. If you'd like to listen again to today's message or discover other teachings by Pastor David, you can do so at theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast to have updated messages as soon as they're available. Right now, Pastor David has a special message to share with you. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, this holiday season, I'd like to take a moment to remind all of us of the people around us that may be looking at Christmas from a different perspective. You know, sadly, there's many that don't have a happy family to celebrate with, and depression can pretty much overshadow every part of the festivities. Many people don't know the joy that Jesus can bring them. I'd like to encourage you to pray for everyone you might encounter and be open to sharing the hope that surrounds the true reason for this season. If you too are among those who don't see the merriment of this holiday, please know that all of us here at The Open Word are praying for you. May Jesus fill you with inexplicable joy today. Thanks for listening today to The Open Word. We pray you've been encouraged today and that you'll join us again. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, everyone.